Hello, everybody, and you're listening to the Foggy Jack Live Podcast, where the haunters meet the haunted. Now, let's go on down to the pumpkin patch. The Foggy Jack Live Podcast is part of the Foggy Jack Live Podcast Network. Go on over to social media anywhere and search at FoggyJack13 for more shows like this one. And remember, stay spooky. Tonight at 8, 7 central, it's Halloween Town. Marty Cromwell's family can't be normal. Why? Because her grandmother's a witch. Totally. And she lives in Halloween Town, where it's Halloween all the time. Halloween is cool. Well, battling an evil shadow creature is just not normal. Oh, it's normal and vastly overrated. Find out more about Marty Cromwell's family's vastly strange powers. Powers? What powers? It's Disney Channel's original movie, Halloween Town. Tonight at 8, 7 central, only on Disney Channel. New technology always brings new glitches. That's just par for the course. When digital cameras first came out, everyone went up crazy, as their flashes on their new cameras illuminated dust particles, bugs, and moisture droplets that people immediately thought were ghosts. Now that everyone has a smartphone, those cameras are experiencing weird glitches of their own, and every anomaly is being seen as proof of the paranormal. The latest example is the ghost photo on the staircase at the Stanley Hotel, in Ists Park, Colorado. Of course the Stanley Hotel is famous for being the inspiration for the hotel in Stephen King's book The Shining, and it has been investigated on paranormal reality shows like Ghost Hunters and Ghost Adventures. A photo taken recently by a guest at the Stanley allegedly shows a ghost. But I'm guessing this is more about a glitch in the technology rather than a ghost in the hotel. The Stanley Hotel in Ists Park, Colorado, has been called the most haunted place in America. Aside from inspiring Stephen King to write The Shining, it's apparently built on a foundation of quartz that purportedly attracts all kind of spirit activity, the latest of which has been allegedly captured on camera by hotel guest Henry Yore. Yor was walking around the hotel after dinner snapping photos when he took a picture of the Stanley's famous lobby, apparently capturing a woman dressed in period clothing standing to the left of the stairwell. Yor says he waited until the area was empty to take a picture and one paranormal investigator has weighed in, claiming that the picture shows not one, but two ghosts, the other a child to the left of the woman. In an interview with Colorado's Nine News, Yor said, I'm terrified of ghosts. I've always been superstitious. This has completely solidified my beliefs about ghosts. When I was taking this photo, there was nobody there, he added. I didn't feel anything abnormal. It wasn't until the next morning when I realized this figure was in the photo. As for the fact that people have pointed out more than one figure in the snap, Yor said, that gave me the chills. Researcher Kenny Biddle of the Geeks and Ghosts podcast chalks the image up to the panorama feature on yours phone, which takes photos over the course of several seconds rather than instantly, and would allow for guests not present at the initial moment to show up as ghostly apparitions. Indeed, an entire blog, Panorama Fail, is dedicated to otherworldly glitches caused by the feature. As per usual, it probably depends on what you're predisposed to believe. We know where King would fall, at least. 
The Stanley Hotel has made a lot of money the past few years capitalizing on the ghost hunting craze and running ghost tours, which they have since stopped. But I think a heaping mix of technological glitches and the power of suggestion from publicly claiming to be a haunted hotel is helping people to see something that just isn't there. The panorama feature, as well as the iPhone's feature of live photos that sort of look like mini-movies, can create some bizarre effects. If someone popped out for just a second, it would look like a ghost in the photo. As far as paranormal experts saying you can clearly see a child's head in the photo, I think someone needs a dictionary so they can look up the words expert and clearly. I'm Dr. Dreadful, and this is my zombie lab! <laughs> Makes lots of gross things, like zombie brains! <laughs> then eat them! Mommy, no! Ooh! <laughs> Makes swarms of gooey bugs! Tasty! Make some magic liquid and zombie barf! Yup! <laughs> no! Dr. Dreadful Zombie Lab makes over 40 experiments that are evil sold separately from your magic. The Haunted St. James Hotel and its Evil Room 18. Hotels are in some ways inherently creepy places to begin with. How many people have been on that bed, putting their head to that pillow, sharing the same space that you occupy now? All of these people with different lives and paths, staying in that same place, their time they're overlapping in time. It is all rather spooky when you think about it. What has gone on in that room and who has passed through its walls? Who has been in there with you? Such questions become even eerier when you are staying in a room of a hotel with a traumatic past, sitting and sleeping on the very same furniture that has been there since the beginning. One place where this is prominent is a historic hotel in the state of New Mexico, which has a dark, turbulent history and is by all accounts infested with ghosts and possessed of its very own cursed room. What is now called the St. James Hotel, in historic downtown Cimarron, New Mexico, was first built by a man named Henry Lambert in 1872. Once the personal chef to none other than President Abraham Lincoln himself, Lambert had headed out west for the same reason a lot of people were at the time. He wanted to find gold. He sadly did not strike it rich as planned, and ended up starting the hotel originally as a restaurant and saloon to service travelers passing by along the Santa Fe Trail. The place proved to be so popular that it was made into the Lambert Inn, and it would go on to be called the St. James Hotel and earn a rather nefarious reputation. At the time, Samaran was lawless place a den of scum and villainy not unlike an old western film, and many of these unsavory characters inhabited the Lambert Inn. Interestingly, the inn was a popular hangout for both lawmen and criminals alike, and among the many names that came passing through are a veritable who's who of the Wild West, including Wyatt Earp, Jesse James, as well as his killer Bob Ford, Buffalo Bill Cody, the outlaw Davy Crockett, Clay Allison, Black Jack Ketchum, Annie Oakley, Doc Holliday, Kit Carson, and Pate Garrett, among many others. Considering that when you get this many volatile elements in one place there is bound to be trouble, shootouts, fights, and all manner of mayhem were par for the course here, despite the place's reputation as an elegant establishment. 
things got so bad that Lambert actually had the ceiling reinforced with extra thick wood paneling in order to make sure that guests sleeping upstairs wouldn't accidentally be shot. There would be an estimated 26 murders carried out at the notorious St. James enduring its heyday, and when it was renovated in 1901 there were found to be myriad bullet holes peppered throughout the place, with more than 400 bullet holes in the ceiling above the bar alone. A testament to its violent history. When more and more railroads began passing through the region, the Santa Fe Trail became obsolete and customers at the hotel dried up, leaving the inn to fall on hard times. Henry Lambert himself died in 1913, his wife not long after, and the hotel went on to go through periods of abandonment punctuated by a procession of different owners. For the most part, it was a hollow husk of what it had once been, and it would not be until 1985 that it was finally renovated and injected with some semblance of its former glory. Yet, no matter what they did there still remained bullet holes that can be seen to this day, and they could not completely wash away the establishment's dark past. Indeed, it seems that this past has lingered on, in the form the many ghosts said to still be tethered here. The St. James Hotel which sits on the National Register of Historic Places, is already a somewhat creepy place to begin with. Rustic and kept with the same style it had back in the 1800s, the rooms in the original building have no television, phones, or radios and are furnished largely with the same pieces that were there over a century ago. It is like a place stuck in time, an insect in amber, and to walk through the doors of the St. James is akin to stepping into a timed machine back to the Wild West. It is at once charming and not a little creepy, so it may be no surprise that with this frozen in time appearance, creaky floors and its bloody past it is perfectly suited to hauntings, and boy does it have them. One famous ghostly resident is the wife of Henry Lambert, Mary Lambert, who has allegedly been seen all over the place here. She especially seems to enjoy spending her time at the dining hall in her old room, her presence often first sensed through the anomalous smell of rose perfume in the air. One witness and ghost hunter Rick Smithson, of the International Ghost Hunters Society stayed in Mary Lambert's old room and has this to say. Staying in the room of the late Mary Lambert was exciting. As we were fading off to sleep, I felt a light touch on my back. Although feeling quite soothing, I noticed my wife was turned away and could not have touched my back. Upon questioning if she had just touched me she had not. A moment later she shivered as invisible fingers lightly touched her hand. About 3 am we heard a hideous scream that seemed to originate inside our room. Upon immediate picture taking we discovered a vortex, thought by many to be the spiritual presence of a deceased person. There is also Lambert's son Johnny, who died in a fire at the tender age of two, and who roams about the halls appearing as a little boy with blonde, curly hair and horrible, disfiguring burns on his face. He is joined by the ghosts of two 12-year-old girls who died at the hotel from diphtheria, as well as various apparitions of unidentified shadow figures dressed in period clothing, thought to be the restless spirits of dead outlaws. Another famous ghost here is that of a small little ancient old man called the Little Imp, who is said to be very mischievous, poking people, hurling objects, and breaking glass lampshades. 
These various ghosts are seen all over the St. James Inn, but there is one place that is particularly known for its intense paranormal activity, and that is the infamous Room 18. Room 18, which is interestingly enough located right next to Mary Lambert's room, is said to have once been just a room like any other in the hotel, that is until one night in 1881. According to the law, on this evening there was a booze-fueled poker game held at the hotel, but when the game was won by a man named James T.J. Wright, someone took issue. Wright went back to his room, room 18, and was shot in the back, after which he died there in the room. After that, room 18 became well known for its especially violent and malicious paranormal activity. Guests who have actually stayed there have reported being pushed, prodded, hit, and having objects fly around, covers ripped off the bed, night terrors, sleep paralysis, and being beset with unbearable feelings of hate and negativity. Adding to the spook factor here is that there are said to have been people who went insane and killed themselves in the room. There have been so many reports of intense, malevolent paranormal phenomena from room 18, that it was eventually closed off to guests, and to this day remains locked shut and off limits. Even so, the evil presence inside can still apparently be felt simply from standing outside the room, and one witness named Karen Hudson has said of this. I could not shake the feeling of being watched or followed. Standing in front of room number 18, I could feel something like getting the heebie-jeebies on the back of my neck. My husband said it felt like the hair on the back of his neck was standing on end. The St. James Hotel has become so well known as one of New Mexico's most haunted places that it has attracted quite a few paranormal investigators and even featured on the Discovery Channel show Ghost Adventures, who investigated the place on season 9 of their show. The crew claims to have witnessed numerous strange phenomena on the premises, including swaying chandeliers, anomalous noises including a child laughing, apparitions captured on camera, and EVP electronic voice phenomena, of someone saying thank you, I'm dead, and smoke. At present, the St. James Hotel encompasses the original structure, with 13 historic rooms and no modern amenities, as well as a new annex, which has an additional 10 rooms with more modern accommodations, and guests can still enjoy the old-fashioned dining hall and salon, which have remained largely unchanged since the 1800s. Is the hotel haunted? Why not book a room and find out for yourself? In a Weebles haunted house, Weebles wobble all about and it's a real exciting place to be. A smiling ghost with glowing face has a secret hiding place and that's not all, there's plenty more to see. Because a Weebles haunted house is a great place to be. Weeble's Haunted House, including glow-in-the-dark Weeble Ghost, from Ramper Room. The Mysterious Demon House of San Francisco Some hauntings seem to be of a more malicious and evil nature than others. One of these comes from the state of California, in the United States, where in 1851, a wealthy civil engineer, mathematician, and real estate mogul by the name of J.P. Manro built a stately Swiss-style house on the northern edge of San Francisco's scenic Russian Hill. The house was a beautiful affair, with a stable and expansive garden and commanding a panoramic view of the San Francisco Bay, 
and it would have been a very nice place to live if it wasn't for all the malevolent and very intense paranormal phenomena that would turn the dream house into a nightmare, and earn it the nickname the House of Demons. Things seemed to have gotten strange not long after they moved in. It all started innocuously enough, with items going missing or turning up in odd places, and it was reported that often tableware and condiments would be switched around when no one was looking, as well as the salt put into the sugar bowl and vice versa. This was followed by persistent rapping sounds that could be heard coming from the floor, ceiling, and seemingly from within the very walls. These sounds were first thought to be rodents, but their insistent nature, force, and the fact that they happened at all hours of the day and night convinced the family that something very weird was going on. The anomalous phenomena rapidly progressed to moving objects or things that would fly from their resting places to hurtle across the room or topple over to crash to the ground. Sometimes these objects seemed to be actually aimed at people, such as one frightening incident when a kitchen hatchet was hurled by unseen hands at Menro himself, only just narrowly missing him. For the most part it seemed like mostly prankish, mischievous activity, and the family soon got used to it all. Manro's wife would later say of it all. It was rather terrible at first, but we're used to it now. In fact, I confess I am rather more annoyed and indignant than terrified. These spirits, or whatever they are, seem so childish and petulant that I cannot understand it at all. Today I bought an expensive bonnet downtown. When I got home I laid it upon the piano. The next moment I turned to look at it again, and just while my back was turned for an instant every feather had been plucked from the bonnet. The Monroe House. The family kept it mostly to themselves at first, but after a while Mr. Monroe had had enough, and told about it to a friend named Almerin Brooks Paul, a prominent 32-year-old mining engineer, and a 32-year-old lawyer named William H. Rhodes. Their response to this amazing tale? Why, go to the house and conduct an impromptu seance, of course. On September 19, 1856 they headed over there, and Mr. Manro, his wife, her sister and niece, and Paul and Rhodes all prepared for their seance, sitting in a circle around the table, lighting candles, the whole nine yards, although none of them really knew what they were doing. It might have all seemed like a little bit of spooky fun, but if any of them thought that this was sort of a silly game, those thoughts were soon erased, as practically as soon as they started the whole place would erupt into a frenzy of rather violent paranormal activity that seemed to show that whatever presence was there did not like this whole seance thing one bit. Just about as soon as they sat down the whole apartment was thrown into commotion, as knocking and banging echoed all around. The table levitated clear off the floor, and objects were hurled forcefully in all directions. Books flew off their shelves and then began opening and closing like chomping mouths. The doorbell rang incessantly, invisible hands poked, prodded, and pinched them, and it seemed that all hell was breaking loose. Undeterred, they continued with the misguided seance, asking the spirit who it was, which generated a very bizarre series of phenomena. First the spirit claimed to be James King of William, then changed its mind to say that it was a dead, elderly Hawaiian woman named Capitana. 
Mr. Manro called the spirit a liar, and asked it to show itself, which doesn't seem to have been a good idea at all. As soon as Mr. Manro said this, something outside began to bang away at the window, and a shadowy form could be seen looming the beyond the glass in the garden. Their curiosity overriding their fear, the people in the room crept to the window to see what it was, but the figure was gone. Mr. Manro further antagonized the spirit by daring it to go wake a servant in another room, which promptly elicited a scream from the poor man, who had been sleeping just a few doors down. The servant then came running in screaming about a monster in his room, and as he did that immense shape once again appeared outside the window, and this time they could see it in all of its hideous glory. The terrified Rhodes would call it a goblin, and rather floridly describe it. This terrible apparition was the most frightful figure that ever the human eye beheld. Language is utterly inadequate to describe it. Then it reclined in the clear moonlight, silent, still, and sublime in its horrible deformity. If all the fiends in hell had combined their features into one masterpiece of ugliness and revolting hideousness of countenance, they could not have produced a face so full of horrors. It was blacker than the blackest midnight that ever frowned in starless gloom over the storm-swept ocean. Over its head and body it had spread a mantle of the most stainless white. It looked like a robe of new-fallen snow covering the blackened remains of a conflagration. It seemed as though personified sin had snatched the garment of a seraph as he floated by, and spread it over its thunder-scarred and hell-scorched form. Its face was turned toward us in profile and I saw upon its features an expression of cruelty and revenge, darkened by the frown of everlasting despair. Hope never sat there. Its countenance was so terrible, so repulsive, and so threatening, black and cruel, that the whole party fled in horror. As they all scrambled to get out of there, the room purportedly went absolutely bonkers. Furniture jumped, danced, and catapulted all around. Objects floated through the air or launched directly at them, and several of the horrified people were pelted with various items. This intense eruption of furious paranormal activity followed them all the way to the front door of the house, leaving behind a wake of objects strewn about behind them, and they would be shocked to find that the door was barricaded shut by one of the gate doors that had been completely torn off of its hinges with immense force. They backed away and headed to the library, where they tried to continue the seance in order to appease the furious demon and conjure up more benevolent spirits. This apparently seems to have worked, as the commotion died down to make way for something decidedly friendlier. Rhodes would say of this. Immediately everyone was softly touched and caressed by many hands. Their hair was smoothed and their cheeks patted by hands that became gradually visible, till sometimes a dozen were seen about a single person. This more benign phenomena lasted for some time and then the house was quiet and still. One would think that this would be enough to put anyone off of ever trying a seance again, but they were so fascinated by it all that they held another the following evening. This time they conjured up the apparition of a young girl, as well as that of a tall, thin figure with obscured facial features that resembled a shadow more than substance. They convened yet again the next evening, this time experiencing more malevolent phenomena. In particular, Paul was accosted by unseen hands that poked and prodded him, pulled his hair, 
and once pushed him completely off his chair. The invisible assailant then picked him up clear into the air and slammed him down onto the seance table, much to the horror of those present. A third seance the following evening would become more violent still, throwing objects with such force that they cracked the walls and broke the window. At one point a glowing orb appeared, which floated outside and took the form of a grave upon the ground before vanishing. This seems to have been enough for them, as they stopped the whole seance thing after that, although poltergeist activity in the home continued. News of the haunting managed to get out into the wild, and soon the media was calling the Manor Mansion the House of Demons, with numerous sensational articles detailing the frightening phenomena. The haunting seems to have lasted several months after that final seance, and then one day just suddenly stopped for no discernible reason. In later years Manro would pass away, and the family sold it to a man by the name of John G. Klump, who did not experience any unusual phenomena at all during his time there. In 1917, the Manro house was demolished to make way for a 19-story high-rise apartment complex which still stands today. If there was anything supernatural dwelling in this place it seems to have been long gone by that point, as no one in the apartment building has ever reported anything paranormal in nature. Newspaper article on the incident of the time. This is actually one of the odd things about this particular case. The paranormal activity only started after the house was built, while the Manro family was there, and dissipated to never be seen again. There doesn't seem to have ever been any great tragedy on the land where the mansion sat, it wasn't ever an Indian burial ground or the site of a mental asylum or catastrophe, so why should it suddenly be so haunted? Why should this be? One idea is that it was some sort of psychic energy being released by Mr. Manro or someone in his family. Another curious possibility is that it was what is called a spirit attachment, wherein paranormal forces sort of hitch a ride with someone or something. In this case, it has been pointed out that it all seems to have started when Mrs. Manro returned from a trip to Hawaii with some old antiques in tow. This would certainly explain the demon appearing as an old Hawaiian woman, so did they somehow manage to bring something back with them. Whatever the case may be, it seems to have been certainly a very aggressive and violent haunting, springing from some force with decidedly insidious intent. Considering that it has not reared its head again we might not know where it came from or where it went, but we can sure be glad that it is gone. Hello kiddies, Crypt Keeper here, Master of Ceremonies at Universal Studios, all new Halloween Horror Nights, with new haunted houses to die for, you'll make some new themes, play a scarring role in a killer show, and lots more. Don't miss the last two weekends of terror, Florida residents save, advance tickets just $22 at Ticketmaster with a 2 liter Pepsi label. Party with me at Universal's Halloween Horror Nights, you'll dig it. <laughs> Thank you guys for listening to this episode of the Foggy Jack Live Podcast. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at FoggyJack13. That's where we're most active, and that's where you can find all of our other shows that we have here with daily updates on the new shows. Also, click the link in the bio for our t-shirts. Make sure you grab a Foggy Jack Live t-shirt. We have quite a few different styles of t-shirts we have, from the classic orange logo to a purple logo to 
even a Playboy Mansion model logo. Go check them out in the bio. You can also find our website, all of our other social media accounts, and so much more. If you like the show, please consider joining our Patreon page for $3, 5 or $12 a month. With all of those, you get five bonus episodes a week. Plus, I'm going to start sending out postcards to each and every one of you every month for the podcast and thanking you guys for being a member of the Foggy Jack Live Patreon page or the Pumpkin Guts episodes. You can also be a sponsor to the show. You just go over to Patreon and look for the sponsorship tab. Thank you guys so much for joining me down at the Pumpkin Patch where the haunters meet the haunted. I will see you next time on the Foggy Jack Live podcast. Thank you, goodbye, and blessed be. Oh, it's getting spooky in here.